0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it if you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti, thank you as always for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our 4-0 win over Udinese on Monday in part two i'll review our third primavera match of the season i know some of you aren't particularly interested in the primavera but trust me you'll want to stick around for this one and in part three i'll preview our midweek fixture against Sampdoria. so let's start with our win over udineza on monday victor Osimhen opened the scoring followed by two center back goals and closed out by Chucky Lozano. Ironically, the last time two centre-backs scored in the same match for Napoli was also against Udinese in 2018. Raul Albiol and Lorenzo Tonelli scored in the 4-2 victory. With the victory, Napoli became the third team ever to score at least a goal in 30 consecutive matches. The other two were Juventus and Milan, and credit to Claudio Russo from Napoli 24 for posting those two nuggets on Twitter. We've also had 8 different goal scorers through our first 4 matches of the season. This was easily Napoli's most convincing victory which is exactly what we needed. A lot of people, myself included, were concerned that this could be a letdown match. Udinese were undefeated coming into this match having drawn Juventus before beating Venezia and Spezia. We were also playing on short rest after an intense draw against Leicester City. That match was in England so we had only a few days to prepare for this one. So i was not expecting such a comfortable victory though it wasn't terribly comfortable early on i thought we looked a little bit sluggish in the opening 20 minutes which is understandable given that we played midweek and udineza didn't i thought we were sloppy in the opening 20 minutes as well our passing lacked the accuracy which allowed udineza to keep the ball in our end ignacio puseto was causing lots of problems with his press and seemed a constant threat to score Udinese were playing a low block, which was somewhat difficult to break down, but at the same time, you could see that the long ball was on, which is always good when you have a player like Victor Osiman. but once we scored, we seemed to settle down, we took control of the match, and we never gave it back. I thought this was a masterclass performance from Luciano Spalletti, which will be the basis of this match review, but first, let's get to the starting lineups. Udinese lined up in a 3-5-2 with Marco Silvestri in goal. Rodrigo Bacal, Bram Neutink, and Samir played as the back three. Wallace started in the center of the midfield with Roberto Pereira to his left and Tolga Arslan to his right. Jens Strieger-Larsen and Nahuel Molina started as the left and right wing backs respectively, and Ignacio Puseto and Gerard Delofeu started together up top. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti lined up in a 4-3-3 with Davido Spina in goal Khalidou Klibaly and Amir Rachmani started at center-back. Mario Rui returned at left-back after missing the Leicester City game for the birth of his third child. That allowed Giovanni Di Lorenzo to move back to his natural position at right-back. Fabian Ruiz started as the regista with Frank Nguisa to his left and Ali Almas to his right. And then we had the usual front three of Lorenzo Insigne on the left wing, Matteo Politano on the right wing, and Victor Osimhen up top. So those were the starting lineups next let's get to the match and as I mentioned a moment ago I thought this was a Spalletti masterclass performance. Of course there were excellent individual performances as well but I want to start with Spalletti who I think set the players up for success The most obvious decision was the one to keep Amir Rachmani in the starting 11. Rakmani started against Leicester City midweek, which you could say was because of the error Manolas made in the Juventus game. Spalletti said in his post-match conference after the Juve game that Manolas needs to be a lot better. On the other hand, you could say that Spalletti was simply rotating for the Leicester match because of the busy schedule. That was my take on Rachmani starting midweek since Spalletti said in the preseason that with the busy schedule everyone would get a chance to play. But then Spalletti started Rachmani in this match as well, which has me second guessing myself. We'll preview the Sampdoria match in Part 3, but I think the center back pairing in that match will be very telling. If Rachmani starts again, then I think it's safe to say that Spalletti now prefers him over Manolas, but if Manolas starts against Sampdoria, then I think we can chalk this one up to tactics. As it turns out, Spalletti did make the right decision to start Rakmani against Udinese. He scored the second goal of the match. That was his second career goal in Serie A. The first was against Hellas Verona in the final match of last season. This goal came from a set piece, which is what I want to talk about next. Historically, Napoli have really struggled to score from set pieces. On free kicks from the center of the park, we usually go directly for goal... And on corner kicks we often play them short and don't even get a cross in that is not what we did in this match the set piece on the racmani goal was straight from the training ground and for me it was even better than Jose Mourinho's set piece for brian cristante's goal against sassuolo the reason i say that is because our set piece was simply more difficult to execute the roma goal was two touches pellegrini's pass and cristante's shot our goal required four touches so the margin for error was much wider By that, I mean that this set-piece easily could have gone wrong, and had it gone wrong, we probably would have complained that we should have just crossed the ball into the area. If Fabian overhits or underhits his pass to Koulibaly, it doesn't come off. If Koulibaly doesn't time his run properly, it doesn't come off. Likewise, if Koulibaly doesn't get his touch right, it doesn't come off. But the reason this was a brilliant set-piece was because 99 out of 100 times, Insigne is going for goal from that spot, so I think Udineza were caught off guard by the short pass, and we're a step behind from that point onward. The second set piece came from a corner kick. This was a more typical set piece where it's played short, then the player who takes the corner overlaps to create a better angle for the cross and then the ball is played into the area. Now, I don't know how much of this play beyond that point was scripted versus improvised. I don't know if Spalletti specifically asked for that ball to be played to the back post and for Fabian to lay it off to his center back. I doubt that was the plan if I'm being honest. I don't know how many coaches draw plays for their center backs to finish on the volley, but that's how this one played out. Credit to Koulibaly for the finish though. That is not an easy player for any player, let alone for a center back. Koulibaly now has 2 goals and an assist in his last 2 matches, which is really remarkable for him. He's such an important player to this team. I tweeted about this, but it's crazy to think how easily we could have lost him, particularly this past summer, if we got an offer anywhere near what his true value is, then he probably would have been gone. So I'm grateful to teams like Everton and PSG who continuously sent us lowball offers. Even though Koulibaly doesn't score much, I don't think it's a coincidence that he's been more involved in the attack. We know he likes to get forward and Spalletti seems quite content to allow him to. In his post-match conference, Spalletti said Kaladu is devastating when he gets forward. Fabian got the assist on that goal. His touch to lay the ball off to Koulibaly was sublime. I talked about Rachmani starting, which stood out when the starting 11s posted. A more subtle change that Spalletti made was to start Fabian as the regista. That also seemed to work really well. Now, my initial inclination was that this was done out of necessity because of the injuries to Demma and Lobotka. I was expecting to see Anguissa play in that role since he played there against Leicester City and against Juve and was very good in both of those matches. Now this may have been a way of resting Fabian while still playing him because attacking box to box midfielders tend to run a bit more than the holding midfielders do but after the match Spalletti said that Fabian moved the ball in a way that only those with his class could and that he is great in that role. So we'll have to see how Spalletti uses Fabian going forward especially when Deme and Labotka return, that's obviously a good problem to have, right now the partnership between Fabian and Angisa is working really well regardless of who plays as the attacking midfielder and who plays as the holding midfielder, Fabian was excellent and probably deserved a goal in this mm-hmm. one, he assisted the Koulibaly goal, he played the pass before the pass on the Rakmani goal, and he hit the upright in the first half, so that was all very good to see. The last thing I want to touch on regarding Spalletti is his player management. I know it's still very early in the season, but Spalletti seems to have achieved something that many before him were not able to do. That is, he's created a winning mentality with this club. This was the first match this season where we won comfortably, the other 4 results did not come so easily. We opened the season with a red card to our star striker and an injury to a key player in Zielinski, but still managed a 2-0 victory, albeit against a newly promoted club. Then we scored an 84th minute winner against Genoa after giving up a lead, we followed that up with a come from behind victory against our biggest rivals, again scoring a late winner, and in the Europa League we clawed our way back from a 2 goal deficit to salvage a draw against one of the tournament favorites away from home. I'm not convinced we would have gotten any of those results in some of our previous seasons. Insignia spoke to the zone after the match, and his comments seemed to reflect that winning mentality as well. He was all business, he said it doesn't matter if they're top of the table or who gets credit for the goal, they have to keep working and listening to Spalletti. It wasn't easy to go to Udine and score 4 goals, but they have to stay focused because they have to go to Genoa to play against Sampdoria, who will be motivated by their win against Empoli. Finally, when asked about the similarities between this season and the 91 point season with Sadi, he said they can't think about that because if they do they'll relax and then they won't move forward. I also like that a lot of players are getting minutes. We saw Malquia play against Leicester City, Petania and Unes are regular starters off the bench and both seem quite content to play that role on a club that has the potential to do big things rather than be starters for a low to mid table team. I love the way that Unes plays off the bench he looks so hungry when he comes on and gives you a different look than a player like Elmas. I must say I'm a little bit worried about Elmas and what role he's supposed to play for this team. Spalletti has used him at the 10 but I have to say it's not really working for me. He's a very technical player but he's not offering a whole lot in terms of creativity. We saw that against Juve where Unes came off the bench and completely changed the flow of the game. One thing you can never deny about Almas though is his work rate. He was still pressing the ball even in the 84th minute and didn't seem to be fatigued at all. That's another thing that Spalletti deserves a lot of credit for. No matter what the score was, we continue to push forward, which I think is really important. In today's Serie A, which is far more attack minded than it used to be, the best defense is a good offense. Juve is a perfect example of what could happen if you sit back and defend too early. They scored the first goal in 3 of their first 4 matches and have only collected a total of 2 points in those matches and that's largely because they sat back to defend too early. Of course, we also have Chuki Lozano who seems to be a substitute at least for the time being. I still think of Politano and Lozano as a 1A-1B rather than as a starter and a backup. Clearly Lozano is getting closer to full fitness though. He scored a beautiful goal which will be great for his confidence. I think both of them will get their minutes and I hope Spalletti takes advantage of the wealth of riches he has on the wings to give Insigne a rest every now and then. I'll close part 1 with a few words about one of our standout players. I've covered most of the standouts already, but there's one player I haven't mentioned yet, and that's Mario Rui. For someone who gets more heat than probably any other player on this team, I thought he had an excellent performance. Officially, he had 1 assist after playing the give and go with Lozano on the 4th goal, but at least for a few minutes, he was also credited with an assist on the 1st goal. The ball he played over the top to Insigne was perfect. The only reason he didn't get the assist was because Osimhen got a touch on the ball just before it crossed the line. But the most important thing with Mario Rui is that he was not a defensive liability and has not been so far this season. He may not be the greatest left back, but as long as he's not costing us points, I think we can live with him. That will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll review our latest Primavera match. C'è chi roba, ti e mi e crescere figli è gioia, e chi si sceglie te non che allora non consiglio, è gioia e chi si va so sotto a lui, e a lui che porta amore in più. e chi fa pace che ha fortuna è nota contro a Gio, Gioia, che bene se va next let's review our primavera match against juventus on saturday last season juve finished tied with sampdoria and inter for top of the table on 57 points Based on the tie breaks, Juve finished 3rd which meant they had to play against 6th place Empoli in the final phase. Surprisingly, Empoli won that match 2-1 knocking Juventus out. Juve came into this match having won their first match of the season against Fiorentina and then lost their second match against Atalanta. We came into this match with the same record beating Bologna in our first match of the season before getting thrashed by Sampdoria in our second Nicolo Frustalupi had some reinforcements for this match though. Antonio Cofi was finally back in the squad after missing nearly a month due to COVID. Cofi completed only two training sessions before this match so he started on the bench. A renewed signing from Bari Giovanni Mercurio was also on the bench for the first time after being disqualified for the Sampdoria match. Goalkeeper Hubert Idasiak was in the squad for the first time this season as well. He's been with the senior team filling in for the injured Alex Meret, but as I mentioned in Part 1, Meret returned this week, so Idasiak was able to play in this one. There was a thought that Idasiak would still be able to join the senior team for the Udinese match because the Primavera played on Saturday and the senior team didn't play until Monday, but Davide Marfella was selected to be the third goalkeeper for that one. But the most important reinforcement Frustalupi had was new signing Kolisako. The midfielder was released by Milan this summer and Napoli were quick to sign him. He is a big boy. I don't know his exact height and perhaps he looked bigger than he actually is playing alongside other Pima players, but watching him play was like watching Simi play where he's just towering over every other player on the pitch except he's in the midfield whereas Simi plays as a striker. Between these four players, Davide Costanzo, Aziz Toure, and Jonathan Spedalieri, Napoli have one too many 19-year-olds in the squad. You can only have six 19-year-olds in the matchday squad so Lupi left spedalieri out so with that let's get to the starting lineups juventus lined up in a 4-4-2 with somber senko in goal felix zuango and tarik muharemovic started at center back gabriele mulazzi started at left back and nicolo savona started at right back irvin Omić and nicolo ledona played in the center of the midfield christian sekularek started on the left wing and luis Haza started on the right wing Finally, Nicolo Turco and Angel Shibozo started together up top. For Napoli, Frustalupi lined up in a 3 5 2 with Huberi Dasiek in goal. Benedetto Barba, Daniel Hisai, and Davide Costanzo played as the back three. Colisacco started in the center of the midfield with Alessandro Spavone to his left and Antonio Vergara to his right. Francesco De Marco played as the left wing back, and Domenico Di Didona played as the right wing back. Finally, Giuseppe D'Agostino and Giuseppe Ambrosino started as the dual strikers. Up top. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. The match did not start out well at all. In the ninth minute, Costanzo was late with his tackle on Turco, and Juve were awarded a free kick in a dangerous area. Both Turco and Omic stood over the ball, but Omic took the shot. He hit it low and hard around the wall, but Idasic made an excellent save. Unfortunately, Dasiak wasn't able to push the ball out of play. Savone got to the ball first, put it back into the danger area and Shibozo was there to tap into the back of the goal. Shibozo was completely unmarked which was merely a consequence of how we set up to defend the free kick. We set up a 5 man wall and man marked the 5 Juve players that were in the area. Shibozo started at the edge of the area which meant that when he made his run, we were outnumbered on the right side. Because the free kick was taken so hard, the wall didn't have time to get back into position and because it was shot at that side of the goal, Costanzo and Barba were forced to decide who to mark. I actually thought they played it quite well though, Barba chased Savona to the ball and Costanzo played the pass, Savona just played a perfect pass across the face of the goal so I don't really blame our defenders for the goal. What this goal does highlight though is the importance of hitting the target on free kicks because even if you don't score, there could be opportunities on the rebound. Juve were in complete control for the opening 20 minutes of the match. Chibozo nearly scored a second goal only 2 minutes after his first. Once again Savone played the pass. This time it was a cross to the back post. Napoli's Spavone looked like he was watching the ball go out of play, not realizing that Chibozo could get to that ball. Not only did he get to it, but Chiboso got to it with plenty of time, so much so that he probably should have done better with his header. So just over 10 minutes into the match, Napoli were fortunate to be down by only one goal. Shiboso was Juve's biggest threat early on. He had another chance in the 15th minute after Mulazzi carried the ball through the midfield and his pass somehow got through Costanzo who didn't have a good start to the match, but Idasek was quick off his line to break up the attack and bail out his center back. I thought Idasek was very good in this match. He made a big save on Haza in the 34th minute that was bending toward the top corner. He made a number of other saves as well, which were mostly routine saves, but I think he's really benefiting from all the time he spent with the senior team. Credit to the Azzurini though, from about the 20th minute onward, they started to grow into the match and created chances of our own. In the 21st minute, D'Agostino played an incisive ball to Ambrosino at the top of the box. His tiro a giro hit the target, but Senko made a nice save to keep it out. I thought D'Agostino and Ambrosino were our best players in this match, and I think they could both have very strong seasons. Then in the 26th minute, Sacco played the ball through to D'Agostino, who made a lovely turn to create the opportunity to shoot, but he hit it straight at Senko, who stopped it comfortably. I was really impressed with Sacco's play for such a big body. He is an excellent passer of the ball and he's not afraid to shoot either. But the pressure was mounting and only moments later Napoli found the equalizer. He side blocked the clearance of Zuango and the ball fell for D'Agostino. He quickly squared Tambrozino, who was wide open in the area and the striker blasted a shot into the bottom corner to make the score 1-1. Napoli continued to push forward and nearly went ahead in the 32nd minute. Didona crossed Ambrosino at the near post and his header just missed by a hair. The build-up to this chance was really impressive though we completed 10 consecutive passes before the header but there would have been some controversy had we scored. It was quite clear to me that DeMarco handled the ball in the buildup. Only a few minutes later we had a huge moment in the match. We pushed up on our goal kick Costanzo was the last man back and was jogging for position with Chibozo before he suddenly went to ground holding his chest. It was difficult to see on the replay, but it seems Chibozo punched Costanzo in the chest. Either the official or the linesman must have seen it though, because Chibozo was immediately shown a straight red card, so for nearly an hour, we had an extra man. That didn't seem to phase Juventus though, they remained in control and continued to create chances. It was almost like, because Juve are so good, the red card only served to level the playing field. I don't know if it was because there was one less player on the field, but the second half was a wild one. Juve should have gone ahead 5 minutes into the second half after Hassa played a lovely chip pass to Savona on the right wing and he crossed to Turco in the area. Turco got away from Didona and had a free header in front of the goal but somehow put it over the bar. Then a few minutes later, Muharemovic squared to Omic and his shot from outside the area dipped just enough to crash into the bar and stay out. Napoli were not to be outdone though. In the 65th minute, substitute Matteo Marquisano cut the ball back to D'Agostino in the area but his shot didn't have enough bend on it. A minute later, Idasek made a great play to punch Didona's cross out and spring D'Agostino on the counterattack. He carried through the midfield and switched to Ambrosino who got the shot off but Muharemovic got over to make the important block. That was a great battle in this match, in the 69th minute Di played a long ball to Ambrosino and this time Ambrosino got past Muharemovic 1v1 but Senko was quick off his line to make the save and protect the draw. Both teams continued to create and waste chances in the final quarter of the match and then Napoli came as close as you can get to scoring without actually scoring. In the 4th minute of stoppage time, Idazia caught the Juve long ball and again quickly started the counterattack. Ambrosino raced forward to join substitute Pasquale Maranzino, who were 2v1 against Muharemovic. They played a quick give and go before Maranzino's shot struck the upright and stayed out. It seemed like that would be the final chance of the match, and then the unbelievable happened. With 15 seconds left to play, Napoli won a throw in deep in our own end. Marquizano played a long throw down the line. Omic misjudged the throw and then Ambrosino nutmegged Muharemovic to break free on the right wing. He carried into the area and blasted his shot past Senko just under the bar to put Napoli ahead 2-1 with just about no time left to play. That is how this match ended. As you can tell, this was a really entertaining match. It was also really interesting to see the contrasting approaches from the managers. And in a way, those approaches were representative of the clubs themselves. Juve play a very tidy game. They like to keep the ball. They're very sharp. Even the pitch was perfectly manicured. Napoli, on the other hand, sat back and waited for their moment. On Frustalupi's command, they pressed as a team and dared Juve to play out of that press, though often Juve succeeded. Napoli are a scrappy team and they're quite comfortable being the underdog. They love a good fight and they have a never-quit mentality. With the win, we now have six points through three matches. That's good enough for sixth place, one point back of Roma and Inter, who are top of the table on seven points. Our goal differential is a little bit shot after that lopsided loss to Sampdoria, and I doubt we will remain this high in the table, but the goal is just to survive this season. Last season, it took 27 points to stay up, so we have a long way to go, but this is definitely a great start. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll return to the senior team and preview our match on Thursday against Sampdoria. <laughs> And non am Africa. Sit in guarda top I'm in the forest. We can't hear you, and quanto forest is stanotte. Te i a cercare. We'll close the pod with a quick preview of the Sampdoria match. You might not be able to tell by looking at the table, but Sampdoria have had an excellent start to the season. They've accumulated five points through their first four matches, but they've had a really tough schedule to start the season. They opened the campaign with a 1-0 loss to Milan. Then they drew Sassuolo and Inter before beating Empoli. And it's not just about the results, but also about how they've played. Against Milan, Mike Magnan played really well. And Sampdoria were all over Milan in the final 15 minutes of the match. Then their match against Sassuolo was a very entertaining 0-0 draw. As entertaining of a 0-0 draw as you're going to get. Both sides created chances, but Emil Audero was the standout player in that match. Sampdoria are the only team to take points away from Inter this season. Now, Inter missed a lot of chances in the second half. But credit to Sampdoria, they held their own against the champions. And I think on the whole, the draw was a fair result there. Finally, after a shaky start to the match, Sampdoria got their first win of the season against Sampoli. Chicho Caputo scored a Doppietta in his second match with the Blue Cherkati, and though he was fortunate to score the second, he probably could have scored two more. He had one shot that was well-stopped by Guglielmo Vicario, and another that hit the bar. But the man of the match for me was the ageless Antonio Candreva. He scored the other goal in the match, which was another beautiful tiro a giro. This might have been his best performance since he joined Sampdoria. So things seem to be clicking for them. I have to say I was not expecting Sampdoria to play this well under Roberto Versa, but you have to tip your hat to him. I thought the team's play would drop off a little bit after the departure of Claudio Ranieri, but I'd say Sampdoria are just a level below Fiorentina. They've got a great mix of players on this team. They have veterans like Caputo, Cagliarella, and Candreva. They have some quality players in their prime like Morten Thorsby, who we were linked to this summer, and Tommaso Algello. They have some very talented youngsters like Mikael Damsgard and Christopher Askelson. And they have one of the best goalkeepers in the league, in Emil Aldero. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. The Versa has used a few different formations this season, but they all seem to be variations of the 4-4-2. Emil Aldero will start in goal. So far, versa has used the exact same back four in every match. Omar Khali and Maya Yoshida play as the center backs. Tommaso Agello plays as the left back and Bartosz Berezinski plays as the right back. Perhaps we'll see some rotation for this match given they will be on short rest. Morten Thorsby has started every match in the center of the midfield alongside either Albin Ekdal or Adrian Silva. I'll give Ekdal the start on the basis that he's the more rested of the two. Mikael Damsgaard is the left winger and Antonio Kendreva is the right winger. I'd be surprised if either of those two players did not start. And finally, Chicho Caputo and Fabio Quagliarella should start together up top. For Napoli, I'm not expecting Spalletti to make too many changes to the squad he fielded against Udinese. As I mentioned in part 1, I'm very curious to see who will start at centre back. I think we'll see Mano Last return to start alongside Koulibaly. At some point Koulibaly will need to rest but I think the logical place for that would be in our next midweek fixture which is our Europa League clash against Spartak Moscow on the 30th. I think Mario Rui will start at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start again at right back but I wouldn't be shocked if Kevin Malcui gave Di Lorenzo a rest. In the midfield I think we'll see a double pivot with Frank Nguisa and Fabian Ruiz but I'm expecting Anguissa to go back to being the holding midfielder and Fabian to be more of the attacking midfielder or perhaps they will interchange responsibilities throughout the match. That is, if Anguissa sees Fabian going forward, then he will hang back and vice versa. The reason I have them in the double pivot of the 4-2-3-1 and not in a 4-3-3 is because I'm expecting Piotr Zelinski to start in the number 10. He should be well-rested after not starting against Udinese. Even though I want to see Lorenzo Insigne get a rest, I think he will start yet again on the left wing. Like Gattuso, I think Spalletti is giving Insigne the option and Insigne always wants to play. However, I think we are going to see Chucky Lozano start over Matteo Politano on the right wing for a few reasons. Not only do I think Politano could use the rest, but he was also tackled pretty heavily by Samir about midway through the first half of the Udinese match. I was genuinely concerned that he injured his neither, so it was great to see him walk off on his own and then return to play. However, I suspect he might be a little bit sore. I also think Lozano would be useful because he has the pace to keep up with Damsgaard on Sampdoria's left wing. Finally, we should see Victor Osman start again up top. So those are my starting lineups. Next, let's get to the keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to be accurate with our shots. When I say be accurate, I don't just mean that we need to hit the target. Rather, I mean we need to pick the corners. Aldero is one of the best goalkeepers in the league and can single-handedly steal points. I think he was largely responsible for Sampdoria's draw against Sassuolo. Even Empoli had their fair share of chances early in their match before the wheels fell off in the second half. You could even make the argument that part of the reason clubs seem to miss the target quite often against Sampdoria is because they know they need to pick the corners to beat Aldero. Sampdoria have recorded four clean sheets in their last six Serie A matches, and I think Aldero is a big reason for that. On the flip side, judging by Sampdoria's first four matches, we're definitely going to get our share of chances. One of the things I noticed in the Empoli match is that most of their chances in the first half came from the long ball over the top. And that is my second key to the match. Napoli need to take advantage of that ball over the top. Sampdoria really struggled to defend it. And we have one of the most dangerous players in the league when it comes to the long ball. I think Victor Osimhen can do a lot of damage to the Sampdoria side. I think Omar Khali and Maya Yoshida are very good players. But I like our chances with Osimhen in that matchup. My final key to the match is we need to stop Sampdoria on the wings. I like the matchup we have in the middle of the park with Kulibali and Manolas defending Qualiarella and Caputo. We're certainly not going to get outpaced in the middle, especially with Anguissa helping to defend. What concerns me though is the play on the wings. Candreva has had a great start to the season and Sampdoria often attack through that right wing. Of course that means he'll be matched up against Mario Rui, I praised Mario Rui's performance in the Udinese game but that doesn't mean I'm not worried about this matchup. Likewise on the other side we have Di Lorenzo matched up against Damsgard, who's also a very good player, I'm less concerned about that matchup because Di Lorenzo is one of, if not the best right backs in the league, though Di Lorenzo does have the odd mental lapse so he'll need to stay sharp. I think the way to mitigate this risk is to have our wingers help on the defensive side of the ball. As I said that's part of the reason I think Lozano will get the start because he has the pace to get back and help defend Damsgaard. For my prediction I'm going to go with an unpopular 1-1 draw. Of course whenever I don't take a win I hope I'm wrong and I'll admit that part of this prediction is a bit of reverse psychology. For Napoli, I'll give the goal to Lorenzo Insignia. He loves playing against Sampdoria, scoring 6 goals against them in his career. He's only scored more goals against Lazio and Fiorentina, though Insignia has not even registered a shot on target against Sampdoria in his last 4 Serie A matches against them. For Sampdoria, I'll give the goal to Chicho Caputo. That Pieta he scored against Empoli pushed him over the 50 goal mark in Serie A, which is pretty good when you consider that he was a late bloomer. If Sampdoria don't win this match, it will be their worst home start since the 2013-14 season, having only collected one point in their first two home matches. That said, I do not think they'll win, but from what I've seen in their matches against Milan, Inter, and Sassuolo, I think this will still be a very tough opponent. Call me a pessimist, but I was expecting a letdown match against Udinese and that didn't happen, So now I'm expecting a letdown match in this one. I think this will be another great test for Luciano Spalletti and his players. So far, they've passed every test with flying colors. I just think that at some point we're going to draw points and this seems like the type of match where that might just happen. It's our second consecutive match away from home in the middle of a very busy stretch of games. This is the fourth of seven matches that we will play over a three week period, which is just over two matches per week. I think eventually that will catch up to you. We haven't seen it yet, but every season we seem to have one of those games where collectively we're just off, and I think this might be one of those. I'm sounding pretty negative, so I'm going to end it there. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong, I hope we get the win, and I hope you enjoy the match. That will do for this episode. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at joe__fiscetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ForzaNapoliPod. I'll be back later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one against Cagliari, but until next time, I'm Joe Fiscetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Ay, se la navi me le saliette, tu sai a do. tu sai a, a tu cor ingrato, chi u fa me po, fa po, do, lo coche, ma si fuie, me la sta, me sta, e nun te corri apreso, nun te fluie, sulla guarda, Ya mala ya mala ya Podcast Network.